0: The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts, I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Christine Gentry. Christine is a storyteller and educator living in Los Angeles. Christine talks to me about growing up as an outcast from her conservative, gun-loving family. When she shares a childhood gun incident to her family years later, their relationship changes as each of them tries to grapple with the story. Christine, thanks so much for being here.
1: Sure thing. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Traveled all the way down from Boston and have more journeys ahead of you?
1: Yeah, this is the second stop in a really long road trip, so... I started in, you know, moving from Boston to LA, and then I, I started the trip in Provincetown, which is out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The idea. <laughs> you went out I of the way. I think <laughs> there's, there's something to like traveling, traveling from the literal tip, right, <laughs> to, to yeah, the opposite end of the country. really. Go. Yeah. You could have, unless you were in Maine. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, this is exciting. I'm happy to be here. Yeah.
0: So, uh, what did you want to talk with me about today?
1: Yeah, so your the title of your podcast like "Love Hurts," right? Um, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is my family. Um, I grew up in Texas, uh, and in a in a household that's very much like military, Republican, right, conservative, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and and was you know obviously having been raised by people like that was like that as a child.
0: Um, yeah, you were like fully into it. Oh,
1: of course. Or not
0: full, not you into oh, it, but I you mean, were like, like around, it was around.
1: Listen, you're looking at like third grade Bible drill champion right here. Okay, like, that was like, your I was like, <laughs> <laughs> That was my thing. Yeah. You know, like I used to go on ski trips in um, like middle school, maybe sixth grade, and, and we would purposefully sit on the lifts with strangers so that we could tell them about Jesus. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so you were like, yeah. Yeah, so just to give you a little... Little. That's like the, the background of where you were at that age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, specifically, I grew up in a household that was uh, filled with guns, right? I mean, like, you walked into my childhood living room, there's just four walls of guns and dead shit, right? Like, tur- wow. turkey bears yeah. and deer antlers, and, right? My dad's got a bow and arrow hanging on <laughs> one of the gun racks. Um and that was normal to me yeah. as a kid. Like my dad's favorite t shirt that's captured in many of my childhood family photos is a picture of like hands on a pistol that's like shooting, like and it says, I don't dial nine one one. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Right? So this is this is just giving you a snapshot of like my childhood home, right?
0: Yeah. So like, you could never really have
1: a boyfriend at that age. <laughs> like, oh, no. Like, I have, a, I have a story about literal guns and grenades being pulled on boys who come over to no, my house okay. if you want to no, hear those later. But like, <laughs> the pain kind of steps in. Like, okay, let me frame this for yeah, you a yeah, little yeah. bit. So um, it wasn't weird for me to be in that house as a kid. Yeah, because it was what it's you normal. knew. It was, was, was every like, day. The, yeah, the so, world you were brought up in. One of my earliest memories is I was probably five or six, and my dad was cleaning one of his pistols in the living room. Um, And I remember the smell of the cleaner that he was using and exactly what everything looked like. And he called me over to watch him do it. And it was fascinating. He was putting it back together. And then he let me hold it. And it was so heavy, right, and, like, beautiful, shiny, and like felt very powerful to be holding it as a little girl. Um, And he said, I don't want you to be afraid of guns, if you ever want to look at one, if you ever wanna hold one, if you ever wanna shoot one, all you have to do is ask me and I'll help you do it. But it's very important that you never touch a gun when I'm not around. Right? Like, that was something he told all of us, me, my two younger brothers, from like the jump. Like, as soon as we knew language, we knew what guns meant, and we knew that if we wanted to see them, dad would show us, but we are not allowed to touch them when he's not around. Yes.
0: So it was like, you're around this world, but he made very clear, like, this is not a toy, this is not. Exactly.
1: And that was he felt very strongly about that like cuz he was a gun owner and he was a responsible gun owner and that's the way to do yeah, it right yeah, so yeah, yeah. he had a one of his best friends when i was growing up was a police officer a Dallas police officer and also took the same approach to his um, family and i think that my dad and he kind of decided that that was the way they were going to proceed with having young children in a house full of guns including loaded ones because my dad for you know for quote home protection unquote had loaded guns in the house yeah Skip forward many many years, and you can tell because I'm sitting here with you, like talking about feelings, right? That I'm probably not the same girl I was describing. Yeah,
0: you got away from the world that you were brought up in a little bit. Yeah,
1: not no longer Bible drill champion, no longer proselytizing on ski Um, lifts. (laughs) Tough, tough to give up that that championship. Yeah, it was my trophy, right, collecting dust somewhere in the attic. Um, So there are so many reasons for that kind of path divergence and most of them tied to education. Um, yeah, I had a teacher who sat me down for a test that my parents didn't know existed that got me into an academy, um, like a magnet school across, for like a high school or something. This was when I was eight. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's a different story that we, we can talk about later, but the, my path basically diverged from them at the age of eight, where I was kind of shipped off bust to this school that was so different. Um, my parents stopped coming to parent-teacher conferences in third grade because they were like, I don't even understand the kind of math you're doing right now, so we're just going to step back and let you do your thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, so that was sort of the first moment that it was like, your family's path and your path started going yes. in different directions.
1: Yes. And you know, you've I'm sure read the, the correlative research about how like the more educated you are generally, the more liberal you skew. And so like as I went off to college, the first person, the only person in my family, my two younger brothers joined the Marines, right? Like Yeah. They okay. continued on the path, you know, my dad having been Air Force Vietnam vet, my mom's dad Korea Marine, my dad's dad World War Two Navy, okay. right? So like my brothers are following the path that was easiest for my family um that was natural for them yeah and like kind of not like but comforting and
0: and, and like this was what was normal for your family kind of
1: absolutely part. so if you walk into my parents house even today there's marine shit everywhere right yeah. there's like a marine banner in the window and there's marine bumper stickers on a car and mom's wearing a marine sweatshirt and my dad's got a marine hat you know and like my parents drove more than 11 hours to both of my brother's boot camp graduations at Paris Island. Wow. Didn't drive seven for my Harvard graduation. Oh, man. Right? So that's just a tiny little anecdote about how like, and they we love each other to be very Yeah, clear, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, we love each mm, other. Yeah. We would take baseball bats to people who hurt the other, you know, like they're laid out on train tracks if necessary. There's no question. I never question my family's love for me. We just don't really understand each other very much.
0: Yes, it's it's very much like okay, we know that we love each other and we'll do anything for each other, but like we're not gonna talk about these sets of things because it's just not gonna make any sense. Like there's. I mean,
1: sometimes we could have productive conversations yeah. about the things we disagreed about, but most of the time we were like quoting movies and laughing and making yes. fart jokes and yeah, eating it's like the things barbecue. That you know, can like bond this. over her. Yeah. So my parents live in rural Maryland. Okay. Now. Okay. Um, they moved there my senior year of undergrad. So similar uh, you know, ethos like yeah, so yeah, similar yeah. demographic of people, similar conservative Trump signs everywhere, right? Guns everywhere. Um, but that's to explain the geography of why I grew up in Texas and the Paris Island Harvard thing. Right. so a couple years ago, this thing happened that Was just such a stark, I think, anecdote to tell people about just how much my path has diverged from my family's. Um, It was Christmas 2012, and Sandy Hook had just happened. It was like mid-December that that had happened, and my I was home for Christmas, and my parents, my brother, and I went out to dinner at Buffalo Wild Wings, which is like a sports bar, right, chain. Um, and because it's a sports bar there's these screens like all over the place. And because Sandy Hook had just happened, like every screen had something like covering it. And so very quickly, the conversation got to gun control. Yeah. We um, you know where my dad and my brother were like, oh, here here they come, right? Here, now the government's gonna come for our guns. You know, they are gonna take our guns. And my dad and my brother were wearing these brand new NRA hats.
0: Like, they had just, like, bought that, like, went out that day or something?
1: Like, the NRA mailed hats to all of their members. Like, immediately
0: after that happening. Yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God.
1: That is some fucked up shit. That is intense. Yes. To just
0: be like, we're doubling down hard on this. Doubling down.
1: Babies are dead, and we're doubling down. Yeah. Right? So, like, this is, so me sitting there, right, trying so hard. Yeah not to engage because I I know it's not going to be productive. And yeah,
0: it's like you're trying to just have like a nice time with your family. You and love these people. Yeah. You love yeah, these yeah, yeah, people yeah.
1: and you don't want to be nauseated by them like and by their beliefs. And I, I also, there's, there's also this piece that like you used to fit in. Yes. Right? You yeah. used to fit in with this group of people and now you so don't and sometimes you just want to pretend that you do.
0: Yeah, right. and it's hard to be that outcast in your family, oh right? It's the like, blue sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, I was doing a pretty good job of being quiet until my dad started blaming Adam Lanza's mother. So he's a shooter.
0: Okay, so he was blaming the shooter's mom? Mom,
1: who he killed first, if you recall, before he oh, went okay, to the okay, elementary okay, okay, school. Yeah. Um, and he was like God, you know that's her fault she clearly you know didn't raise the boy right and they're like i taught you guys right when i had guns and you stayed away from guns and you never touched guns and that would never would have blah 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 and finally i was like all right like i have to say something right now like dad let me ask you are you trying to say right now that you did everything right as a gun owner with children in the house And he's like yeah absolutely you know, putting slamming his finger on the table, like absolutely, I did. You know, I taught you guys not to touch guns when I wasn't around. You never did. And my brother Matt, right, the Marine, former problem child, habitual rule breaker, was like, "Yeah, Dad's right. That's right. We never did." You know. And I just couldn't take it anymore. Like me, the public school teacher, right, the the rule follower, the angel child. I was like, "Daddy, I did." I did once." And he was like, what? And I said, I touched the gun once. I was like, you guys were at one of Matt's soccer games. I was in high school. I was like, I'm sure you remember this play that I was in, junior year, where I was playing a character who committed suicide. I was like, you guys were gone. You were at one of Matt's soccer games. I was babysitting Derek. He was watching a movie in the living room and I was in my bedroom rehearsing for this play when I had this thought it was really stupid very simple I said this rehearsing would be so much more intense if I had a real gun and I know where to get one and I went into your bedroom into mom's underwear drawer where I knew you kept the pistol and took it out And I took the clip out, which you had taught me to do, so that I would be safe while I was rehearsing. And I forgot that you kept it loaded and cocked. So there was a bullet in the chamber. Yeah. And I was so close to pulling the trigger on that gun because I was so sure that it was empty and that I was smart and that I was being safe. And in my play, she pulls the trigger. When I thought like maybe I should make sure. So I pointed it down to the ground and pulled the trigger. Boom, like the loudest, most terrifying sound. And I dropped the gun and I fell back on the bed. My baby brother Derek rushed into the room. He's like, Christine, Christine, did you hear that? It sounded like a gun. I was like, no, you know, shaking. Yeah. Like, no, Derek, I'm sure that was just a car backfiring. You know, he must have been uh, nine, eight or nine. So he believes me, turns around, goes back into the living room, and I get down on my knees and I search the ground, and you had that shag carpet. And I found the hole where that bullet that had been cocked it had gone down into the mud under our house. And I just use my fingernails to kind of mess with the carpet enough to cover it. And I put the clip back in the gun. And I put the gun back in the drawer. And I never said anything to anyone for 15 years. Wow. And I'm telling you now, because of this, you know, like I'm like pointing up to the screens. I was like, this, these are babies. You know, like babies are dead right now. Because people think that you can do that. People think that you can safely have guns in the house with children, and you can't, Daddy. Like you can't. You can't do it. There's no such thing. Like I was the model child, and I fucked up, and I almost died. And yeah.
0: It, and you're just sharing all of this with your dad. Oh my God. And like a Buffalo Wild Wings. You and, can.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. With the sound of like clinking glasses and yelling yeah, and around it's like us you're just and like having just having this. this- thing for
0: the first time that you're sharing oh my god this
1: huge secret i had never told anyone it's not like i'd kept it for my family and told other people like i had literally never told anyone about this and our little table right like you can just imagine like the cloud of loaded silence when i stopped talking and we just kind of all understood that dad was gonna need to talk first and so we waited and uh, it's so hard when you love someone, right? But you disagree so deeply. Yeah. And, like, you could see it happening on his face. You could see the the kind of conflicting feelings. Like, there was obviously pride and anger, um, but still so much love and fear as well. Like, the realization of what could have happened. And he finally said, You knew better. You knew better. Ugh. I taught you not to touch those guns and I said I know you did daddy like that's that's my point that's my point is that you taught me and that I knew better and I did it anyway yeah god
0: yeah and it just sucks because in that situation you just want him to be like hugging you or whatever and just say like I'm sorry and it's that's not what he said no
1: and we like dropped it yeah we dropped it and we moved on to other things you know my brother was very mad very mad um Like, I don't remember him saying anything else to me that trip. He was like, you're stupid. Like, you're, like, you must have been adopted. You're so fucking weird and you're so stupid. Like, I can't believe you did that, you know. Oh,
0: God. Yeah, and it's just, you're kid and you thought you were doing
1: oh it's horribly embarrassing yeah. like, I, no, I wasn't a small child I was still, a junior in still, high school like but I, but you're still
0: a kid like that's what I mean it's like yeah, you're,
1: yeah. I mean my point is yeah, that it's you, like could it's not, yeah, exactly.
0: you, you could be smart and you could be
1: a rule follower and you could have been raised quote-unquote right around guns and it doesn't yeah. matter it yeah. doesn't matter like that's the point you know yeah oh man and because we dropped it you know we didn't talk about that for the rest of the trip um and then my mom told me in a phone conversation a few weeks later when I was back home she said that he had taken all the guns out of his house and locked them up because at the time they had these two you know five-year-old nephews that were at the house all the time and like my story had yeah like something had yeah not that he, you him. know, not yeah. that he, the prideful man he is, not that he was going to tell me that, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, it, but that it happened, that made me feel better. Yeah, just like, I'm
0: not going to let this happen again here kind of thing. Yeah.
1: You know, a really interesting epilogue, if you want to this story, is that um, my friend, I, I was telling this story soon after it happened to my friend Alma, who's a scout for This American Life, and she, she said, maybe we should put, like, this seems like an important story. And maybe we should put it on This American Life. And I was like, sure. And so we proceeded, you know, through the producer path. Yeah, of, to like, do
0: the, to do what you're to doing do now. What, to like, yeah, with, like,
1: with Robin Simeon, who was the producer yeah. of that episode. And then Robin said, this is great. So when do we get to talk to your family? Oh, man. And I said, uh, never. Yeah, like, like, the, like yeah. I, I don't care that much if you guys have this star. I don't care that much about being on this American Life. Like, pull it. Like, you're not, no, absolutely not. You're not going to talk to my family. First of all, they'll kill me for telling you the story in the first place and going public with it. And second of all, there's no fucking way they're going to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's more of the thing. It's
0: like they're, this is not something they're going about talk if they didn't to you, talk to like, you about it. My dad is, might as well have
1: a second t-shirt like family business belongs in the house. You know, like that's, there's no that's way. That's next to his gun t-shirt. Well, yeah, <laughs> we don't talk about personal stuff to other people. Yeah. Um, and to her credit, to Robin's credit, she could have just dropped it. I'm sure she had a million other stories she could have run. And she called me back and she said, here's why we want to talk to your family. Here's why the story will be better if you ask them. Here are the things that you can say to them to try to convince them that we're not trying to make them the bad guys. We just want their point of view. And when she called me, she I just so happened to have a trip home the weekend. So she called me, like, on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just so happened to have a trip home that weekend booked for Mother's Day and my brother's birthday. And so because I knew Dad would be the decision maker, I arranged for him to pick me up alone from the bus stop. Okay, yeah. Brian, I was so nervous about asking this man to do this that I dry heaved in the bathroom of this cheesy Italian restaurant outside of Baltimore, because I thought he would kill me. Yeah, Kill me. And we hadn't talked about it since that night, and I knew it was a heavy thing. And I came back from the bathroom, and we're like poking, I'm poking at my salad, and I finally say, like, Dad, remember that thing that I told you about in December? There's this radio show they want to talk to you about it. And he said, have him call me. Man. And I said, what? (laughs) Like, I would (laughs) have laid every penny I had. Not that that's much. I'm a public educator. But I would have laid every penny I had that there's no way he would have responded that way. He said, have him call me. And I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, shit. It happened. Ain't nothing in my life happened. Ain't going to stand up and say it happened. They put me on 2020 trying to say guns are bad. I'll be a little pissed. (laughs) But just have him call me. My family, like, this event, like, our being on that show was another, like, path changer.
0: Yeah. Because
1: my parents drove more than an hour to Baltimore's public radio station to record their side of this story. My brother led an audio engineer into his house to tell his side of the story. And when I, they didn't let us listen to each other's versions. Wow. And when I heard my family's recording, like, when the show came out, I sobbed like yeah like again i would have laid every penny i had that they would have blamed me completely completely for this event i've seen my dad cry three times my whole life and his voice so clearly cracks in that recording when he takes responsibility
0: and that's got to be tough too because you're it's it's this weird thing where they wouldn't tell you in person so you're hearing
1: exactly like their
0: reactions yeah. over a radio show like weird
1: layer of like we don't talk about feelings but we have them and sometimes they come out yeah. <laughs> to strangers and yeah, then, we'll,
0: we'll share this to strangers
1: yeah. and then you can and listen to like, it secondhand. Yeah, and know that I love you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was wild it was wild and I would say like that was 2013 and I would say in the years since there's been a closeness that wasn't there before and an ability to talk about things uh, including the Trump presidency, yeah. and, like things that we never had been able to speak about productively um, before, still disagree wildly on. But um, I think that that show forcing us to talk about something that we never would have talked about yeah. again allowed us to process things in a really healthy way. And um, the, the next time I was home after that show, my dad said, like, apropos of nothing, I don't remember what was going on, but he said, uh, You know, the Bowman's. You know, it's like their neighbors down the street. I was like, yeah, I know the Bowmans. He goes, they they wanted to buy a pistol from me. And I said, yeah, I'll sell it to you. But you got to listen to this radio show first. (laughs) Wow. Because they had little kids. Yeah. My dad. I didn't even know he knows how to use links. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My dad. (laughs) Like, it's like finding, he's name.
0: finding a website and going to like a podcast. I <laughs> didn't even episode. know he had yeah. an email address. <laughs> like he sent them a
1: link to this radio show. Like my parents didn't even know what NPR was, much less this American Life. Right? Like, I don't oh, know. Man. Just su- such incredible, I don't know, vulnerability and honesty, and it's, it's that's love, right? Yeah, like, and it um, feels
0: like it. Like when you had that conversation at the Buffalo Wild Wings, it felt like after that point it seemed like you were in such like that path that had been separating for since you were 8 right, right. it felt like it was taking an even harder turn out right like you Absolutely. felt even like more distance between them yeah and it's crazy that that's the thing that like turned the path around and brought you a lot closer together right
1: i mean it did it but it didn't necessarily bridge any yeah. differences yeah, right yeah, yeah. so my 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 dad is obviously still a gun lover still Total pro NRA, anti gun control, like Yes. My dad has a bullet maker. Like, like, <laughs> I didn't like, even know that was like, like a... my dad, this is legal by the way, which should terrify you. My dad makes assault rifles that don't have serial numbers.
0: Oh man. That is That's legal. very scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it should be scary. So, like, to be clear, it's not like my dad changed yeah, his everything, mind yeah, it's like about now he's, guns. Yeah. It's just that he takes responsibility for having loaded unlocked guns in the house with children and thinking unwisely that that was potentially safe as long as you raise them right.
0: Yeah. It just feels like at least for one, for this, like, one
1: issue of the big <laughs> issues of things that
0: you're, like, able to kind of find some kind of common ground, but also become closer kind of as a oh, result of it, closer, right? the closer for
1: sure, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've seen my, my dad cry several times since, right? It's like, this weird. Yeah, now it's become almost a yeah, normal thing where you're like, like, oh, dad, dad's crying again. Oh, dad's <laughs> crying again. What is it, dad? <laughs> <laughs> the commercial is <was> so beautiful. <laughs> no, it's not that extreme, but I would say he's much more in yes. touch with his feelings, you know?
0: Yeah, and like not afraid to be like open with you or whatever.
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah. He like called me sobbing after his dog died, you know, and just talked talked to me about it. And then the next time I was home after that dog died, he like kind of demurely got a piece of paper out of a drawer in the kitchen and kind of you know, looking down at the ground, came over to me and handed me the paper, it was all folded up and then quickly turned around and went down to the basement. And I was like, What is that? <laughs> like what is that about? And I unfolded it and it was a letter he had written to the dog. Oh man. Oh my like, god. Like after the dog had yes. died of just being like Oh my god, it was so wow. beautiful and like all misspelled. And like it was just like it was <laughs> the like the most beautiful letter and just the perfect snapshot of you know that his armor being yeah cracked a little bit you know I mean he's also just getting older and I think that that happens naturally yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's just like okay I can be less yeah. tough and there's only so much that I can give you know this American life responsibility yeah, yeah. for but but I do recognize 2013 as a real shift for, yeah for like my family other
0: things could have been changing too but there was a big change because of yeah you sharing the story and totally and them sharing
1: yeah. Yes, and and that you know the the closeness and the ability to talk about things doesn't mean that we escape the pain. Yes, of disagreeing yeah. with each other about serious stuff. Um, it was very hard for me the 2016 election and like knowing. Yeah. That my family was excited about that, like that, and and I wore black to school the next day. You know, like that's.
0: Yeah, yeah. My family, it was not so much. It was one of those things. Like I didn't talk to them about it because it was weird, and I was like. It was a thing like my parents are very Republican, not because of guns and stuff like that, but because of like money, like they're very like mm. fiscally Republican. And there was this part of me that hoped like they would care more about like people and human rights and things like that than they would about money and not like be on board with that. Mm. And it was just like kind of disheartening to learn that yeah, they absolutely. didn't like it didn't matter or whatever. since like. That's a much smaller, like, it's a,
1: it's a smaller thing in the grand no, scheme of I, things. No, I get it's it. Like, it's, obviously, we disagree on that stuff as well. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's a lot. Yeah. I think for my family, and we might be getting a little off topic talking about the election, but it was painful. Yeah, <laughs> so I think, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think for my family, it was, they just wanted a break through the window. Yeah. You that know? whole, like, the system, that type yeah. of thing. That, yeah. The that, system that, like, is broken. Yeah. We need something to mess up the system. Um, I, I know at least one of my brothers would have voted for Bernie. Okay. And you can't that's, get That's that's like, like You big... can't get any more different. Yeah. and you know as far as policies and outlook oh, yeah, look yeah. on life from totally. those two people it really was just that they were both bricks. Yeah. And yeah. my Either and my way, family were, were like, like, like I want the brick. Yeah. I'll take I, the brick.
0: I remember like when the election was happening having this moment that I was talking to somebody about and I was like I think it was after it ended I was like I don't know like this scenario is obviously not great but it almost would have been like like it would have hurt more in a sense if like it was Bernie against Trump because it was two bricks and it would have felt I think a little harder to say like people wanted that brick versus this brick like right. Because it was still saying, like, yeah. All those people said, yeah, the system, but they still wanted that system. I think, like, that would have been, like, a little harder. And they're
1: somehow wildly not disappointed.
0: Yeah. Right? Like, Like, his approval rate amongst Republicans is, like, 90% right
1: Uh, now. It's crazy. So, like, there's a lot of pain in loving someone who would support a man who says and does the things that that man does and says. Um, There's a lot of pain. And I think... Um, you know the perennial gun control issue. That's not like it has disappeared from my family dinner yeah. table, right? Like yeah. Las Vegas shooting, bomb stocks. Yeah, the stuff is happening. Every mass all shooting. The time. Yeah, my dad tried to volunteer to um, protect the local public school. You know, like, oh god, because he like, has yeah, a concealed yeah. license or license to carry or whatever, and like he agrees that the solution is to put more guns in school. You know, like it's wild. Like, yeah. that's so you wild still have to, have to love those someone moments who with your believes family. that yes. even after my story of, like, you can't have guns around kids. You can't yeah. have guns around kids safely.
0: Yeah, there's these things that definitely, like, res- resonated in what you said in your story, and it, like, changed him in ways, but then other ways. Like,
1: then other ways, wait, yeah. you're still missing, still missing the point. some of the point of what. I guess he considers it, like, being on his person is the same as having it locked in a safe or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I guess it's, like, he knows that he's, I guess it's like that thing of like, I do believe
1: I can say this for whatever tiny comfort it offers. Like I, I do believe that my dad would never leave a loaded gun unlocked around children. I do believe that that story changed that. And that was something that was happening up to the day of that story. Yeah. Of me telling that story. Like the the five year olds running around the house with the same gun that I had almost killed myself with sitting in the same drawer in the same bedroom. Well, I mean, different house. but Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah.
0: but same kind of concept. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they could have just as gotten it as easily as you got it. Obviously. Yeah.
1: Five-year-old boys. Yeah, which yeah. in that. a oh God. Yeah, terrifying. You, you hear those stories all the time. Yeah. All the time. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, thanks so much for sharing this story.
1: Thank you for having me talk about it. It's always good. I think.
0: Yeah, I hope it's like a cathartic thing and not just like this.
1: No, it's. I I truly believe that. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love the storytelling scene in general. But there's so much processing that happens. Yeah. My entire dissertation, by the way, was about storytelling. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So you're like deep in. You're deep into it. I'm really obsessed. So I think that one of the reasons that it's so helpful and amazing is that even if you don't realize it's happening, when you're capturing uh, an event. And particularly a, a formative or painful one, like within the confines of narrative, like there's healing there. Yeah, like a, totally. Like you're taking the power away from it by capturing it in narrative and, and making it fit into that yeah. know, confines of.
0: And yeah, and kind of like trying to help. Add, yeah, get something out of it Absolutely. by being like this. You make sense of yes, things by repeating story. it and saying, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah, if people, or do you have like a website or anything if people want to like find you or follow sure. you? Sure,
1: christinegentry.net I should update it more often than I do. Yeah, but me too. If they, if they really want really, to find yeah. some stories, I can go there or, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for this doing this. Fun. This is
0: how we love. This is how. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. This episode was recorded at the Magnet Theater Training Center. The Magnet Theater offers shows and classes in improv, sketch, musical improv, and storytelling. You can find more information at magnettheater.com. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.